Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is the second of the week for what is the anniversary week here at the Rambling Runner Podcast. This is the one-year anniversary of the show. It's been an amazing year, uh, to say the least. I'll probably put out a video uh, or maybe even a podcast, just kind of kind of recapping uh, what this year has been like. But when I started, I didn't expect anyone to listen. It was just a hobby that I wanted to do, and, and I was just interested in doing something about running. And here we are, one year later, and we're going to get over 30,000 downloads this week. Which is insane to me. Um, but I guess I shouldn't be all that surprised because Monday's guest just did a fantastic job. That was Victoria Philippi uh, from Run uh, Run for PRs. She was fantastic, and we got great feedback from that show. And I'm expecting the same thing from this one. So this episode is with Amanda Brooks. You will know Amanda from Run to the Finish. That is not only her social media handles everywhere, but it's also the name of her uh, very popular blog. She's also a very good travel writer as well. She is so insightful about all things running. And like the rest of us, she is certainly uh, an amateur runner. Um, to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with being an Olympic qualifier or even being an elite runner. But I think because she's able to provide insight that a lot of people can relate to, and yet at the same time, digs deep on a lot of topics um, that affect a lot of people. And uh, she really has some very interesting insights in a lot of her posts. I'm a big fan of her work, and she brings a lot of it to this episode. So I think you'll, uh, you'll, you'll really like what she has to say. We talk about her love for half marathons, uh, what she, you know, kind of how she became a professional writer, how she started in... Um, just kind of the the web development world and then became a blogger and then the slow transition from side hustle from hobby to side hustle to potential full-time job to making a career out of it and i know a lot of people who listen to this show um have blogs or maybe think about doing blogs and i think that she provides a lot of insight into that she also talks about traveling for races and Shoot, we just this conversation runs the gamut, and I have a, a sneaky suspicion that you're gonna love this show as much, if not more, than I did. Before we get into it, though, I just do I do want to give a plug for the Patreon page uh, here. So it's, it's patreon.com forward slash rambling runner. It's a great way to support the show. Um, also, two months ago, or maybe a month and a half ago, I put out an episode with my coach James McCurdy. And it was basically just our monthly check-in phone call. And that that episode was really well-received. And it was, I think, the most downloaded episode of that month. And a lot of people liked it. And uh, I'm going to continue to do that. But I'm only going to be putting that out on the Patreon page. I don't want to overwhelm um your 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 podcast episodes with talks of my running so if you were if you did like that show and you do like james's perspective um on running generally and the insights he provides me you know we're fully transparent in these conversations so uh we're going to put out that episode next week it's going to entail two parts so i'm going to record an episode with him or about 20 minutes or so with him tomorrow night talking about my 5k on Sunday and then I'm going to record kind of the second half of the conversation after the race. So we'll talk about race strategy, what this race means, how I've prepared, what that means, um, all of that. And then after the race, we'll take a deep dive into what happened, what he thinks about the future and you know, kind of what this means for me as we've kind of grown uh, professionally. So he's been now coaching me for uh, several weeks now. I mean, you know, almost almost a month and a half or so. Um, and time to take a deep dive into what he thinks I can do short term and long term. Anyway, if you want access to that, go to the Patreon page. You'll see uh, you'll see how to access it. It's just patreon.com forward slash rambling runner. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for listening to this show. And now here is my conversation with Amanda Brooks. Hello, Amanda, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. 
It's my pleasure. This has been a long time coming. I've been a fan of yours for a while, and I couldn't be more excited to have you on the show. Thanks. I've been around for a while, so <laughs> people tend to find me. You have. I, I was listening to another podcast you were on. It was about a year ago or maybe six months ago. Um, and you referred to yourself as, as an OG <laughs> of, the running, of the running blogosphere. And uh, I mean, you, you, you actually used the word blogosphere, but you did call yourself an OG. And I thought that was very applicable. That's for sure. When, just put that in perspective. When did you kind of come on the running, the running blog scene? So I started Run to the Finish in 2007, um, so 11 years ago now. And it was very much at that point, like, you didn't have photos. You weren't really, like, trying to get tons of people to read. You were just putting this weird diary about your running out there and getting excited because other runners were talking about their running. So it was a very different, different world back then. Yeah, that's for sure, right? Because that was kind of like the beginning of the boom of all these different media types. Not media types per se, but different mediums in the media where you can express yourself in so many different ways. Um, that's for sure. What Just just because I'm curious, when you first started it, did you have to do all of the coding for the blog? Now it's like the websites are so you know user-friendly. When you first started, what was that like? So Blogspot did exist by the time I started. So, you know, nothing looked fancy. You didn't have navigation, but I didn't really have to do much besides just put words on the page. And then when we got a little more creative and you uploaded photos that were the size of a postage stamp, <laughs> we did that for a little while. Oh, those um, were great. You would like <laughs> you have to get like so close to your screen to yeah. look at them. Yeah, I went back and looked at some stuff a while ago and I was like, I don't, I can't even tell what this photo is. <laughs> I know, right? And then it's not even like now where you have like the touchscreen iPad or iPhone where you can just kind yes. of like zoom in and get a better look. You're like, I think she's in this picture <laughs> of like this rest stop at a race, but I guess yeah. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe yeah, it's just it, their friends. Who knows? We didn't, we didn't have our phones. We didn't have digital cameras. So, like, when people are showing, like, on Instagram, they show their first race and their current race. And I'm like, God, I don't have a photo from my first race. <laughs> no, I know, right? Well, it's, it's funny when you say your first race. Because when, when would you even quantify that? Because I love how um, just, just how you describe your, your kind of your, your introduction to running back in you know high school middle school type where you were the person who would fake the knee injury <laughs> to get out of running so when, when was like the first actual running race you were in so I always did sports and like I didn't mind running for the sport but yeah if there was additional running I was gonna find a way out of it um, and then my junior year of college a number of friends decided they were going to do a road trip and run the Rock and Roll Nashville Half Marathon. And I heard road trip and decided this was a good time to start running. <laughs> so I started and my first race ever was, in fact, that half marathon in 2002. And it was hard and painful. And yet I knew the second I did it that I was going to keep running. Right. And it, it sounds like, given your history, that that part of that is like kind of an odd start because it's such like a it's such a uh, a huge distance for a first time <laughs> racer to so be like, wow, like this person, like, wow, they must have really caught the running book. And you did in some ways, but in other ways you didn't because you've it sounds like you've experienced something that I experience constantly. And that is kind of like a distaste for racing in a way. Yeah. What, what, what is the genesis of that for you? Yeah, I think even when I first started, I really only ran like one or two races a year. It was just, it wasn't about the race for me. So when I started running, like most people, the race was sort of the goal that got me going. But then after that point, I wasn't the person who still needed a race to keep running. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people going, which is absolutely fine. I just started finding that I was driven to run regardless of whether there was a race on the other end of what I was doing or not. And as I started, you know, 
okay, I need to go after this goal. I have to get faster. I have to do this because that's the natural, you know, pathway, right? You're supposed to Boston qualify or whatever it might be. And as I would start to really get into those, I either got injured or I would get to the point where I hated running because I was doing all kinds of runs that were not enjoyable for me. And once I went back to kind of dialing it back to like a race a year and being able to get really excited about that race and spend the rest of my time just running for me, whether I felt like going five miles, one mile, 20 miles, I was much happier. Now, are you a competitive person by nature? Um, not really. In fact, when I was young, like I was the tall girl. And so I was supposed to play basketball, but I was horrible because I wouldn't go get the ball. I wouldn't. I was like, eh, (laughs) she seems happy with it. So I'm competitive with myself and I'm very internally driven, but I'm not that competitive with other people. Right. Well, it's just the fact that you've been able to put this blog together for so long it kind of identifies like you're basically your, your drive and you're willing to work, uh, work hard for a sustained period of time day in and day out, which is kind of the key to success, I guess, for any endeavor, um, athletic, academic or whatever. So when you go back and you look at that period of your life in terms of identifying, all right, I'm not going to race as much. I'm just going to run. Was that, did you kind of fall into that or were you, were you pretty self-aware at that point to know kind of what, what your jam was and what wasn't? I was pretty self-aware. I think some of that is probably from being an only child. So you get plenty of time for introspection, I think. So I just kind of knew like if running is something I love and I'm keep getting into this pattern of hating it, what's more important to me? Was it more important for me to hit those PRs because that's kind of what I'm supposed to do? Or was it more important for me to just run because I loved it? And I was able to make that choice because I wasn't competing with anyone. Um, And I think was just able to kind of feel like the best way to be true to me is just to run because I love it. Now out of that, a lot of times come PRs because you let go of so much of the other stuff. Um, So I've been lucky, I think, to enjoy both. Now, do you, as now and back then, did you kind of measure yourself from an improvement perspective? Like, even though you might not have had a race in the short term, like how how much did you try to quantify your ability and your improvement level, say week to week or month to month? I think for a long time, it was mostly about running more. (laughs) I think because I never thought of myself as a fast runner, I got into like the, okay, well, how much can I run? Um, And again, there I kind of found my limits with, well, if I keep running more then I'm burnt out. Um, So I would say more than anything, I am just a consistent runner. I'm probably roughly the same pace now, granted coming back from injury as I was when I started running 16 years ago. Um, I've had PRs in between, but I'm pretty consistent. I'll run the same mileage every year and, and I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you'd have to be to put this kind of this, uh, you know, year to year, um, training log going, I know for a lot of people, and by say a lot of people, I'm referring to me right now. <laughs> I, um, I have these drastic swings, you know, year to year or even season to season occasionally. Uh, and I've never even been able to build um, build my mileage. Um, I should say I haven't been able to. I could have done it. I just didn't do it over a sustained period of time. Um, and with that being said, I've heard you say before that your favorite race is the half marathon. And considering what you just said, like you wanted to see how far you could go. Uh, that was kind of like your initial look at improvement about speed. It was about how far you could go. So what about the half marathon um, was more of a, because it was a better fit for you than the full marathon, considering what you just had said about kind of how you measured yourself against, you know, your, your, your prior best. Yeah. Well, part of it is that I really like to travel when I race And I have done very few races where I actually live. And we have moved quite a few places. Um, And so I found pretty quickly that with the marathon, 
I couldn't quite enjoy the trip as much because there was a lot more beforehand. No, I don't want to walk around. And then a lot more afterhand. Gosh, it's really painful to walk around. (laughs) Whereas the half marathon, I could still go and give it my full out effort. And then, you know, pull on some compression pants and and be ready to go hit the sites the next day. Um, I think that is a lot of it. And then part of it also was We lived in Florida for about eight years and training for a marathon when it's 90 degrees and 90% humidity just became extremely unenjoyable. (laughs) So I think that was, that was also a big part of it. Yeah, that'll, that'll definitely do it. That second part. I mean, I'm, I'm living that the weather really turned here in Rhode Island over the past week um, where we now have the classic new England heat and humidity index, both, both going nuts. Um, And it it is, it's, it's hysterical. What, what it does to me every year. I don't know if you (laughs) experienced the same thing with you in Florida. It's like, I thought I, I like start kicking myself because this happens every year. I've lived here my whole life, but it seems like I forget. It's like I have amnesia about what the heat and sun do to me from a running perspective, not even the first day. It's almost like the first day you can handle it, but it's like the recovery period after one of those like seven mile runs through the heat. I feel like I need like an extra 12 hours to recover appropriately. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I just, I did a video on this a little while back because I think it's so interesting that we perceive that it's harder and yet we don't actually recognize that it 100% is harder on our bodies. Like our heart is working harder. Our body isn't dissipating heat because it's humid. So it's not even that we think it's harder. It really is. And so, yeah, then recovery becomes harder. And particularly in Miami where that was the weather year round. Yeah. It just became harder to kind of, come back from every run to the next run and feel fresh enough to, to get in all the miles. Yeah. And it really plays games with you. If you monitor your heart rate mm-hmm. during some of these runs, I feel like it can elevate so quickly. And once it's up there, like good luck getting it back down. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, I feel like it's also one of those situations where it's easy to underestimate it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's going to be a big deal. I know it's going to affect me, but like, I'm really fit, you know, like I'm going to be just fine. And like, that almost has no bearing on it. Like your your fitness level. Yeah. It really, it's physiological. Like the studies they've done, like you immediately go up like 10 beats per minute for every 10 degrees over 70 degrees or something like that. Um, and then another 10 beats per minute when the humidity hits a certain point. So it, yeah, no matter how fit you are, your body is just going to respond. Which is why my heart rate monitor read 300 beats <laughs> per minute during my run today. No. Um, all right. So we should get into a little bit. So you mentioned you travel a lot and not only are you, um, constantly running, writing about running, but you're also a travel writer and there's a lot of crossover there as well. Like you just mentioned. And, you know, you are someone who uh, you, you're a journalism major at Missouri, right? Yep. And that is, for people who don't know, one of the best journalism, if not the best journalism school in the country. So did you already know um, a long time ago that you wanted to make a kind of make a life in writing? I did. So even when I was growing up, I said I wanted to be a writer. And in all honesty, my parents said, you'll make no money. <laughs> I thought I was cheating the system by at least going into journalism where there was a career path. And then you realize you make like $18,000 as a journalist. So there was actually no money in it. Um, But, but, but don't worry, but, but you can balance it out with your 80, 80 hour weeks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So even yes, from, from a young age, I knew I wanted it. In high school, I managed to get myself on the newspaper as like a sophomore, even though you were supposed to be a senior. Um, So I was very much headed that direction. And then I graduated college and went completely in the other direction. And I became an e-commerce consultant for about 10 years for really large companies. And it was fun, but I wasn't writing. And so part of the whole blog happening was just that it was in this outlet that way I could write something that wasn't technical or wasn't business and about things that I really enjoyed. And 
you know, from there I, I got, I would say, lucky to an extent that blogs became a thing. But it also truly over the years has given me a chance to really develop my writing um, and highly amusing to look back at some of the original things. <laughs> so what so what did it, what does an e-commerce consultant do 15 years ago? Sure. So, for example, I was working with um New Balance at the time, and we would look at things like button color, or I would redesign their website and figure out everything from the front end, how the user was going to navigate through and where we could eliminate clicks to how that all operated on the back end. So how it tied into their accounting or their software or things like that. Wow. So you end up having a really good even though it's quite a securitous route route to becoming a running blogger, right? You had yes. journalism background. All of a sudden you have the website background. You're putting in a ton of miles. Like it sounds like it is not exactly how someone would draw up. Like here's the, here's the best way to become, to make a life um, being a, a writer for <laughs> running. But it seemed like you like ended up in retrospect being almost like the perfect, the perfect path to get to this point. I absolutely think so. If I hadn't had the business experience, I think that's one of the things that has consistently set me apart from other bloggers and given me the opportunity to turn it into a business and, you know, to make more than I was making as a consultant, even um, because I had that business experience and also just the way of thinking about things where I kind of realized I need my blog to be something a little bit different. And so it's less about here's where I ran today and more about how can I really serve people. And then I started thinking about the fact that I really love research. Like I will dig into things. So I was like, all right, why don't I spend the time researching and kind of boiling down all this stuff so that the people who don't love doing that are getting their answers. And hopefully I've found them from really, you know, credible sources, put them together in ways that are interesting and useful. And a lot of people who are listening to this show express themselves via words, whether it's over video, audio, or the written word in a whole different ways. A lot of them probably over Instagram uh, to some degree. And you've kind of done a lot of um, trial and error with this, right? Between yes. blogging multiple times a day to every day to a couple times a week, different lengths, formats, all of this stuff. How much of it was by choice in terms of trying to set a long-term agenda for the blog? And how much of it was, it was just like, hey, I'm just going to try stuff out and see what works? One of the best things about the internet is you can try and see whether things work or fail pretty fast. Um, so there has definitely been a lot of try and fail over the years. Um, because I am someone who's also internally motivated like I said earlier a lot of it is still just me kind of figuring out like what do I enjoy and if I enjoy that other runners are probably going to like that too how can I do this in a way that's sustainable for me enjoyable for them so like you said at one point I was like okay everyone blogs two times a day I'll I'll try this and then I was like this is ridiculous I who reads two times a day of someone's blog and so I kept kind of pairing it back from there and then started watching like what is the stuff that's most important to people and granted I don't nail that a lot of the times I think this is going to be the article they're going to love everybody wants to know about shin splints and then <laughs> no what they really wanted to know is like funny ways to get better Instagram photos so it's a hit or miss sometimes but as long as I continue to enjoy it and especially in the last year I think I've tried to really cultivate more of the sense that I genuinely mean I love the community and that has fostered more people to send me really wonderful emails or thank yous. For some reason, people don't like to comment on the blog a lot of times, but they like to send me emails or direct messages. And I do love it because it really is the community is the best part of it. I've, I've, I am one of those people. 
I don't like commenting on people's blogs, but I will shoot them an email. Yeah. I, I am one of those people. Cause for me, it's like, if I comment on the blog, I get so like, I don't know, I get anxious that someone's <laughs> going to read this and I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like a fool for what I wrote. Cause like, like, all right, if I write an email that's really poorly worded, like the only person who's going to know is me and that person. But if yeah. I comment, I'm like, ah, I'm going to hold my tongue on this one. Um, well, you mentioned the community and you like to provide information that people like. But you also also mentioned when you were doing the investigative part of what you were saying, you kind of like scratch your own itch in a way. How do you balance the two of those two ideas, right, in terms of content creation, providing something that people you think want to learn more about versus things that you are inherently interested in? I think it's kind of twofold. So I always have a running list of potential topics and ideas. And a lot of times that just kind of helps as I'm thinking about what's coming next. I'll look through all of those ideas and see, is there something in there that I notice people have been mentioning lately or coming up lately? And if I thought of it as a topic, I'm probably interested in it. I would say there's like, I've never had shin splints, but I was interested in it because people ask me about it. So now I know enough to actually give a good answer. Um, I think there's very little with running that I'm not interested in, which is the benefit of choosing a topic that you love to be your blog. <laughs> and then the other thing, too, you have to measure, you have to um, not measure, but weigh, is how much, how personal do you get? Right. Because mm -hmm. you have the idea of these, if someone is a consistent reader, or in my case, a listener, there, are, there is that cohort of people who want to learn more about the author yeah. in that sense. So how do you balance that with some of your writing? I did make a very conscious choice. Uh, it's probably five or so years ago now to pull a lot of myself out of the blog. Um, and a lot of that was coming from what I was seeing from other bloggers who were, who were very personal, sorry, they were getting just a lot of really hateful and trolls. And I was like, I am, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to deal with that. And so I started getting very factual all the time. And for a little while, that was, everything was just very, very factual. And then slowly I started finding ways to weave myself back in that felt moderate, I guess is the best way to put it. So I'm in there, my voice is in there, my opinions are in there, but it's not so much my day to day. And I've found that that's a way for people to get to know me and yet is not so much that I'm getting the trolls. Um, and then I think the second part that has really helped truly is probably things like Instagram stories. And that's where people who actually are interested in getting to know me see a lot of my goofiness because um, I am pretty goofy on there um, and get to know my personality a little more than maybe what they find on the blog sometimes. That's a great point because you really can provide different content or I know that's not even a great word, but just different insights mm -hmm. in different in different locations yeah. that feel a little bit more um I guess organic isn't the right word either. I'm struggling with words right now, but you know, it, it kind of fits it better in certain buckets than it does others. Absolutely. It's easier on stories to jump on and share like a funny thing or to share like the really truly like, here's how the run went. Um, because I, I don't want to read those blogs, but sometimes I do like hearing my friends talk about their runs. And so, yeah, it's a little bit of a new game where we have all these different ways to talk to people and finding kind of the right medium to, to do that. Well, one of the things that's really evolved since you started the blog is the whole clean eating field. Yes. I feel like over the last 10 years, <laughs> like I feel like the cycle with which we go through different ideas, fads, foods, recipes, restaurants, basically every single part of this genre, I feel like the cycle moves so quickly. I feel like if I don't like stay up on it for like three months, I'm lost. Like I'm like, I'm like three years behind. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and like for you, this is, this is, this is something that you touch on a lot in your blog. So guess, when did you first start um, just personally viewing clean eating as something that you wanted to, you know, make a part of your, your own life? So I think, you know, even in college, I was interested in losing weight because I was probably 
at my heaviest going out of being a senior in high school. Um, and I didn't really know anything about it. I was a college kid, so I counted calories and then I started running and counting calories. And that was pretty much the extent of it for a, a little while until I started to realize that I wanted to feel better. I wanted my runs to feel better. And there was, um, oh gosh, what's her name? The Tosca Reno, I think that's her name. She's like the founder of Clean Eating was a, her book and a magazine. And I was like, oh, she's basically saying like eat more vegetables. I was like, all right, this is a new concept for me. We didn't really eat vegetables in my house, but I'm going to try this. And I just liked the mindset shift. All of a sudden, I wasn't telling myself no all the time. I was just focusing on what I should eat and could eat and how it would make me feel. And I think over the years, that's been the constant evolution for me. So I've watched all the fads come and go. And mine has just consistently been me slowly tweaking like what makes me feel good. So figuring out that dairy didn't make me feel good was kind of mind-blowing to me because I was positive dairy was this super healthy wonderful food um, and then was amazed when I stopped eating it and I suddenly had more energy and my stomach felt better Um, but that's consistently been my process is more figuring out how can I eat enough fruits and vegetables every day How can I also eat chocolate every day? And what foods are going to leave me feeling the best? Um, So I've certainly had friends who are killing it doing keto and other friends killing it doing, you know, super high carb. Some are vegan, some are paleo. And I think it's great whatever works for you. My biggest thing is don't get so tied into a label that you're afraid to change when it's not working anymore. That's a great point because I feel like, especially if you have certain people that you respect, it's really easy to try to copy what they're doing. If for no other reason than like, you're like, all right, this person's already got it figured out. I don't have to make yeah. any choices here. Right. Like I, they, they already did the heavy lifting. I can yep. just copy what they're doing and then, all right, I got that figured out. I can move on to the next thing, but it just diet. I feel like the more, I learn about diet, the less I know about diet. I feel like this, like, you know, it's like, it's just, it's amazing to me. Um, even now, like I'll go you know, read Matt Fitzgerald, who's one of my favorite, um, favorite writers in the sports genre on a whole, you know, whole variety of topics, whether it's stuff like iron war or, or diet or training or, or the like. And he'll, you know, he's, he's, you know, preaching the gospel of, you know, of high carb and, has backed it up with you know numerous studies from all over the world both anecdotal and scientific and it's very influential stuff but it doesn't change the fact that when i have a high carb diet i don't feel very good yeah which (laughs) is really funny have you read his book diet cults yes i have (laughs) that's really funny to me that he would preach any diet um i loved that book because it is very much like you're saying there's a little bit of we want to feel part of something. So we get into these labels and then we don't know how to get out of them if they don't feel good. So I think every style of eating honestly works for someone. It's just being willing to test things out. And I've tested things out. I've, I've gone vegan for a while. I've tried, you know, many different things to sort of figure out what feels best for me. And I think it'll probably keep changing as, you know, life changes. Right. I feel like I'm always stuck between two things of like, all right, the, what you just described about like, all right, I'm going to do trial and error, find out what fits good, feels good for my body. And then adhere to the things that do and throw out the things that don't. And that sounds very obvious. Why would there be a part two to the sense? <laughs> right. And then, but however, there is the part two of convenience. Yes. I feel like convenience oftentimes um, can be such an enemy when it comes to diet and not just like the drive through. Like that's an obvious thing that we can always point to. And as someone who's experienced every single drive through in America and Lord knows I've loved them all, um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's an easy thing for me to go on. But I'm just talking about like leftovers or like, you know, just easy things that are that things that are easy to make. Yeah. Right. And then granted, nothing's easier than having raw vegetables, but like it takes a lot of raw vegetables to get full. 
So it's like, I feel like convenience for me is almost enemy number one when it comes to nutrition. See, and I'm not a meal prepper, but I do find food really easy. And part of that's probably because I'll eat the same things over and over. And that does not bother me in the slightest. So but... you are, you are like the queen of like, you know, like, like of habit. I yes, feel like you're I like, am. You, like whether it's running or blogging or eating or whatever, it's like, you're just getting that, that zone and you just go. Yep. Habit and consistency, I think, are the, the, the two things that I'm probably very well known for. Oh, that's all right. So I cut you off. All right. So, what, so from oh, a habit okay. perspective, what, what are some of the things that you're, you're eating on a daily or weekly basis? So for me, I always have like a couple bags of, I will even buy the pre-cut vegetables so that I have one less excuse. I know it might be a little more expensive, but if I'm not eating out, then I don't have a problem with it. So I'll have some bags of vegetables. I will always have either some cooked chicken or cooked turkey in there. And then lunch and dinner are very nearly the same. I will throw a protein and a bunch of the vegetables in a bowl together, heat it up a little bit. Um, Cause that's one of the things I found for me is raw vegetables don't do well. I do better with cooked vegetables. Um, and then, you know, I'll put dressing or some mustard on it and I'm good to go. <laughs> God, it's just meat and vegetables, meat and vegetables, meat and vegetables. Yeah, pretty simple. You know, green smoothie in the morning. I eat a lot of cereal because I like cereal, but I keep it to like Cheerios and stuff like that. So my love for cereal, I feel like that that's that hits that hits me on both ends. It's like it's the carbs and it's the convenience. It is. And, and it's like, oh, I wish yeah. it was I wish I was one of those people that could just eat cereal. But like it like kills me every time. Oh, I do eat. I go through a lot of cereal. I've been but, really watching sugar though, so it's become pretty much Cheerios and like Rice Krispies are pretty much. I eat probably, I don't know, three cups of cereal a day. <laughs> so it's like living with your parents again. They're like, no sugary cereals, Amanda. Yes, you're done. It is. <laughs> but you're anti. But you're anti dairy because it doesn't work for you. So do you yeah. have a try? Um, so for a long time, the answer is yes. I would have like a spoonful of nut butter with it and I was perfectly content. I could just sit there and pick it out of the bowl. It would make my husband cringe. <laughs> um, now I'll use like unsweetened almond milk or something like that a lot of times. So a, a teaspoon of nut butter, what would you even do with that? Would you like try to stir it around or I'm, I'm like trying to figure <laughs> out the logistics of having a cup of cereal with a teaspoon of peanut butter. So I actually, I made a video, like one of my favorite snacks is legitimately, I'd take a tablespoon of um, almond butter. I would take shredded carrots and then Cheerios, put them in a bowl with almond milk and yeah, and just eat it. It's not. It doesn't really stir in or anything. Just... Was this for Was this for funny or die? This video? Uh, no, <laughs> it was actually. I think I did it for Cheerios even um, a little while back. They're like, "This is ridiculous, but funny." <laughs> I was like, "It's It's true. I I genuinely eat this because it's a way to get in a vegetable." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're still, in a matter of speaking. <laughs> You know, I guess you could, you could throw broccoli on top of Rice Krispies too, but I don't necessarily would suggest it. But carrots are easy; they're already sweet, so it was shredded carrots were no big deal. That's fair. All right, so when you decided, so you were doing the consulting job uh, for websites and doing well, and that's like the time. If you go back in history, like when would it, when would it be a good time to have this job? Yeah, like, I mean, your I, era was like the perfect era for it. I really was at the peak of it. So, I mean, it was a very strange situation where I was a 22, 23-year-old female walking into executive boardrooms at Hallmark and New Balance and, you know, Purina and sitting down the 50-year-old head of the department and saying, here's why everything you're doing is wrong. Um, so I was, I was very much in the period where it was shooting up and everyone was realizing they needed to revamp the old ways they had been doing it or streamline it. Um, so yeah, I was in there in the right time, which also meant that it slowly became 80 hours a week. And I worked on Christmas and I worked on Thanksgiving because those are the biggest sales days there are. And if there was a problem, I needed to get my team on top of it. 
Right. So at that same time, being a young person who's doing really well in a burgeoning field, I would assume that there was a lot of pressure either inherent or from your, or from yourself to potentially stay along that career path. So when your blog starting to take off and all of a sudden you start seeing some monetary gain from the blog and it becomes a little bit more viable kind of month after month, what was it like when you started weighing the decision about to go blog full time versus stay with your current career trajectory like what was that conversation like say talking to your folks yeah that so interestingly enough the conversation i was the most afraid to have was with my parents and i mean i was married i lived in another state but i just thought they're going to be so disappointed i'm the only person on either side of our family to graduate from college And here I am getting ready to say I'm throwing away a career for a blog. Um, My husband was fully supportive because he had been watching me basically work 100 hours a week. And he was sort of like, I just I want my wife back, whatever that means you need to do. So the conversation with my parents was hard, but it was also really hard with my bosses at that company. They were my friends like. It was a 10-person company the day I started, and by the time I left, almost 10 years later, it was 100 people. So I had been there and watched it grow and take shape, too. Um, Really, it came down to looking at the fact that I decided what was most important for me was to create a lifestyle that I wanted. And I didn't know if the blog would be it or not, but I knew that working 80 hours a week was not the lifestyle I was interested in. So I had to leave that job. And I decided I would give the blog a year. And if it didn't work, then I would get a different job. I just realized inherently there was always a way to make money. And so it was terrifying to leave a very good paying job. But luckily, I had a ton of support. My parents were immediately like, If you have decided to do this, we know you. That means you have thought through everything and we trust you. It'll be fine. We're proud of whatever you do. And that was probably the biggest relief for me, just hearing that from them. And one thing that I've heard a bunch, and I think I'm trying to remember exactly where I heard it from, was when you make your creative pursuit, your professional career, I guess one of the fears could be that all of a sudden you don't look upon that creative pursuit as fondly or as with as, or with as much love and care um, as you had in the past, because all of a sudden it's your profession. So did you worry about that at all um, with your running and with your writing? At the time, I don't think that ever even crossed my mind. I was too worried about what the heck am I doing? Um, there have been points over the years where I have, realize that it is this very blurred line where my life is my job and my job is my life. You know, when I travel, I'm always working on writing something about it, or I need to get this photo or I need to share this thing. Um, And so it's a blurred line, but I think because I have a genuine interest in it and I'm excited about it, it really for me has not been an issue. That's wonderful because, yeah, you, you would, it would be kind of tragic if all of a sudden someone were to do this, to take, kind of take the plunge, and all of a sudden they started kind of resenting this endeavor because there was so much pressure tied to it. I think it happens to a lot of people who decide that they're going to turn their blog into a business um, or they come into blogging initially specifically to make money. And I think if that were my main focus – it probably would have been really easy to do. Um, And I absolutely wanted to make money at it. So I'm not going to say that. I totally stressed about where the money was going to come from for a while. Um, But I was also just interested in the people and the connections. And I think that makes it a lot easier when you have a little different perspective on it. Right. So you do not only the running, uh, the you know, writing about running, but you do the travel writing as well. So when it comes to the travel piece, 
this is something that I'm asking not only because I think people might be interested, but I'm interested. I want to know this answer to this question is when you're planning kind of like a running vacation or trying to incorporate running into travel, what are some of the things that you try to do beforehand to make sure that uh, it's going to be a good fit? Or what are some potential, even on the other side, what are some potential red flags when you're doing the research to say, oh, this might not be the best idea? For the most part, you can run almost anywhere. Um, the biggest thing is usually if I'm going into like a major city, I'm looking around to make sure it's an area I'm going to be comfortable running in. If I have to get up at, oh, dark 30 before the day starts to go for a run. Um, but even like I did a press trip to the Czech Republic and we were out in the middle of nowhere in these tiny little towns. And I would go run at 4am because it was the only chance I had, but it was my way to see the town. Um, so because I could not read a single street sign and I did not have like phone and all of that with me, I would look at like Google maps ahead of time. And this is pretty much what I do anywhere I go. I'll look at Google maps and get my bearings for like the names of some major streets and where I'm currently located and kind of use that as my guide for getting around. Now it's a lot easier because you can take your phone and things like that. Um, but I think Google Maps, um, I'll ask in advance if other people have been there. I don't always get a lot of responses, but I'll check if someone has. And then it's just kind of being curious, you know, just heading out and seeing what happens. I, you stumble across the craziest things. Like on that run, I ended up finding like some crazy gated wall to an old fortress and things that I never would have found otherwise. Yeah. Now, are you, given how much you've traveled, are you ever surprised anymore and just like slack jawed by some of the things that you see? Or do you feel like you've done so much of this that you kind of have seen it all in a way? There was probably a year or two ago where I went somewhere and I found myself not being wowed. And I thought, okay, something's wrong with this because you're still somewhere new and you're still seeing something new. And I realized at that point I was probably traveling too much for me. Um, and so I have scaled that back a little bit and we do a lot of stuff here in Colorado now that we're living here and I've realized it's made the travel itself more exciting again. And so now I would say most of the time, anywhere I go, I'm really trying to look at it with fresh eyes and be in that moment and in that experience. And you mentioned before that you travel for all sorts of races and when you're doing that, what is your preference? Do you like the big, highly produced race? Like, say, like you mentioned before, like the rock and roll half was your first race. Um, like that sort of series or that kind of vibe? Or do you appreciate more like the down-home race that's a little bit more under the wire? I like both of them. I think probably the longer I've been running, the more I like the smaller races. Um, it's just easier. I don't know, like the get in, get out part, which is what stresses me out. Like the how am I getting to the start line is usually just so much simpler and calmer and easier. I really like that. Um, but it's fun sometimes. Like the Philadelphia Marathon was one of my favorite races. And it was largely because the spectators were amazing throughout the whole course. So I, I kind of go back and forth. I like them both. So do you feed off the energy of the crowd? Or are you more of like viewing like other people's like energy vampires in a way? Um, I like the crowd. I, the crowd didn't do much for me in New York. Um, but in Philly, I loved it. Or when you're getting towards the end of the race, I like it. And when I'm out on the course, and especially if it's small, like I'll say thank you and wave to the people who happen to randomly be out there cheering. Um, I love that. I don't like it when I'm on the course and I'm like bumping into people because it's so crowded. <laughs> right. So I guess the crowd, crowd meaning like the spectators versus like a, a hugely packed road course. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's fun when there are spectators. I don't have to have them, but it's fun when they're there for sure. Yeah, I hear you. I, I feel like they definitely can provide you with energy, um, especially if like you feel like you're engaging with them, but there's, I guess there are points where if they're 
omnipresent, you feel like this kind of like there's this responsibility to interact with them in a yeah. way. I don't know. Maybe I do. I'm like self-conscious like that. <laughs> like, I feel like if I like, if they're like purposely like trying to get my attention and I'm like not giving it to them, I like, I'm, I feel like I'm on two minds. I'm kind of like, I, I know that I'm now spending energy like thinking about this problem and like at the same time like i feel guilty for just not being like hey man this person's being so nice why don't i just like give them like give them a high five or something <laughs> that's hilarious i think because i can get kind of tunnel vision on race day i don't worry so much about that <laughs> yeah so there's like <laughs> a quick look into the sordid mind of matt Chittam. it's not it's not a fun <laughs> place that's for sure but um with that being said, um, so you're you're a half marathon person. Frankly, I'm the same way uh, for different reasons, but that that really is one of one of my favorite distances. Uh, I haven't been training enough, I think, to kind of like I'm super competitive with races, as I mentioned before, and like I end up disliking them in a way because of my own kind of competitive drive and mm-hmm. ends up becoming a negative for me. However. I think they're my favorite because they're they're kind of the sweet spot from a length perspective. So if you had to pick, say, your top three or five half marathons um, that you could run over the next five years, which ones would you go back to? Ooh, that's hard. Um, mostly because I don't even remember all the ones I've run. Um, the fact that you just said that is so awesome. <laughs> I, that's like, that's, that's which is sort me. of funny because I'm not a big racer. So, like, I haven't run a crazy number of them Um it no, you need to do is you need to start that. like writing things down and yeah. then you'll remember them better. <laughs> um, so the best damn half, um, they do one in Orlando and one in safety Harbor. And I would go back and do either one of those again. Um, I liked those races a lot. Um, is that a play on words? Do they run it at a dam or no, it's just, the best damn half. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, I had another one in mind and now I've lost it. I don't know. I think it's because I don't think of races as my favorite. I think of like places that I ran that were my favorite. Is I don't know. Is oh, that crazy? Okay. Like I'm, I'm more like, oh, I remember that I did this run in Ireland and that was super cool or in Iceland, I, I ran <laughs> past this rainbow painted street. Like those are the things I remember more than races. Now, do you think that's the only child in you? Just like being out on your own and experience things by yourself? Maybe. Um, cause I don't run a ton with other people. I've been trying to do a little more again here lately. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy just being able to think and I do get a lot of like I write things in my head so when I come in all sweaty from a run I go like immediately to the computer to get things out of my head so what are your favorite uh running books or running writers Matt Fitzgerald totally agree with that um his book the brain training for runners I love Um, I recommend train like a mother for a lot of people when they're asking me where to find a plan. I recommend that one a ton. Um, if they're not going to get a coach, um, Bart Yasso, I mean, his book was incredible. Scott Jurek, his book was incredible. Did you read North? I just finished it. Yeah. Oh, I haven't read it. What'd you think? I loved it. I thought it was another really good read. Um, I'm reading one right now about Helga, Olga, sorry, who is the 90-year-old track superstar. Um, And it's kind of fascinating. It's a different sort of book where it's kind of going into, like, how at 90 is she doing things that some people in their 50s can't do. Um, So, yeah, I'll read just about anything I can get my hands on. I Probably on book number 80 for the year. (laughs) Hey, now. So I like to read as much as I like to write. Yeah, they kind of, you know, if you like one, you end up liking the other. That's mm-hmm. kind of like the rule. So how often do you read? Um, I guess what's, what's, what's the percentage, if you had to break it down, for the, the kind of genres you end up reading? Um, it kind of swings just based on maybe how I'm feeling. Um, last year when I was injured, I didn't really read hardly anything running related because it just made me want to run. <laughs> 
Um, it's, it's like it's like listening to a country music station after a breakup. You're like I just can't yes. do that right now. Yes. So I mean, I read a lot of like mystery books just because they're something I think to shut my mind down from thinking. I'm definitely someone who can just think, um, and so they kind of just get me to stop. Um, but I would say at least twenty to thirty percent of what I read is anything running that's come out um, or I've started getting really into biographies this last year um, and kind of enjoying that. Which ones? That is a great question. (laughs) I just finished um, because now that you're asking, I can't remember. Oh, Ronda Rousey. That was interesting. And then open by Andre Agassi, which was was really good. It was like it wasn't exactly inspiring, but it was really interesting. Yeah, because it wasn't trying to be inspiring, right? It, right. it didn't have like the hero's journey arc. Exactly. It was like, Listen to my crazy life in extreme <laughs> yes. detail. Yes, it was very, very interesting. Yeah, just the the beginning of that is such a hook. Mm-hmm. You know, just just setting the stage for people. Like it was, he was like in this hotel room before a match, and you're like oh my god this just sounds like the worst thing ever like just the the way his body had deteriorated yeah it was was oh my goodness one of the best written that i've read in a while for sure yeah i really i really like that i actually um i shouldn't say i read them i do audiobooks Mm -hmm. um i've got to the point of no return with reading it's like (laughs) it takes me so darn long and now it's like now that I like have incorporated reading with like I associate it with sleep because I read to my kids before they go to bed. It's yep. like, yeah, I've heard this. I heard this one person said they read they read ten pages a night and then like basically finish help them read like help them read a book a month, and like that makes sense to me. But like even then, I'm like ten pages in. I'm like after seven, I'm like I'm out. I'll like a light. It's true. I do read to make myself go to sleep. Um, so it's funny that sometimes I can just sit and read, but also at night, that is how I go to sleep. I'll read about 10 pages and I'm out. All right. So before we get into the last couple of questions that I do for every, uh, every conversation, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. It's like the time has just flown by. I'm looking at my, my clock right now. I'm like, it's almost been an hour. Like this is hard to believe, but, um, First of all, thank you so much for coming on. How can people find you online if they don't know you already? I am run to the finish everywhere. So no numbers, just spelled out, run to the finish, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, website. So you got there early. So you like, <laughs> you got like the beachfront property at Malibu before people like, you know, got the gold rush in California. You got there early on all these platforms. Once I started to realize that... Like Instagram, I was kind of slow to get to it, but I knew that I needed to get it. Um, So, yeah, once I I realized I I saw other people having issues, I went and got everything. That's smart. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I can't get the rambling runner on anything. So I I contacted the guy. I'm like, hey, I I noticed you don't even use your website anymore. Can I just buy it off you, ramblingrunner.com? He's like, I might want to use it someday. I'm like, oh, God. I did at one point. So I was like blogspot that run to the finish or something for a long time. And when I wanted the URL, someone did have it. And I had to pay them a decent amount of money to get the URL. I remember that. (laughs) <laughs> well, see, yeah. see, then you learned your lesson. You're like, I'm not going to go through that again. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, with that all being said, if you're going on a run, are you doing headphones or no headphones? I always have them in because it helps me, I, I don't know, to focus for some reason. But it doesn't mean that they're actually playing anything a lot of the time. <laughs> but if they are playing something, what are you listening to? I am... I switch back and forth between audiobooks, podcasts, or if I'm running on the weekend, I like to listen to whatever the top 40 countdown is. <laughs> okay. All right. That's a, you get a pretty, pretty wide mix. How do you decide um, which one you're going to listen to? Because I do, I do basically the same exact thing. And it's almost like for me, like if I have a good audiobook, I'll stick with it for like a week till I yes. finish it. Because once I disengage, it's hard to get back in. Yeah, if it's an audio book and it's good, then it's probably going to be the only thing I listen to. Um, but as soon as it's done, I think sometimes then that's when I'll go to music for a little bit. 
um like it's like a palate cleanser I don't know um (laughs) but most of the time during the week it's probably a podcast otherwise and then music for part of the run on the weekends okay now what is the training or running advice that you give out most often but you have trouble following oh that I have trouble following I'm pretty good at following my advice um Lately is probably the first time I have not followed my vice and I am paying the price for it. So I did my first half marathon since surgery. And because I was so excited to be running again, I took absolutely zero time off after the race. And so now a few weeks later, I am slightly injured. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I think it's not going to be a big deal. I think it'll be like a day or two thing, but I probably could have avoided entirely had I actually done what I would normally recommend and and taken those days off of no running. So, so it's like, not only is your body injured, like your pride is injured. You're like, (laughs) how can I let myself do this? Yeah. I knew what I was doing. I was like, ah, this is my own fault. So I can't really complain about it. There you go. Well, it makes for an interesting blog post. Always. Like like when you, when you can't follow your own directions. Um, So if you could only run one more race, the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would it be? Ooh. Again, I don't think about races that much. All right. Um, you can do location if you have your, your, your prime time spot. Yeah, that's a great question. Hmm. The one race that's on my bucket list is London, but I don't think I would want to run that every year. I could probably go run Iceland every year. I really loved it there. What about it? It's just the scenery and the landscape changes around every corner. One second, you're looking at like black lava rocks. The next second, it's a glacier. The next second, it's a waterfall. And then it's like this weird mossy moon rock looking area. Um, It was just kind of fascinating. Oh, that sounds great. It's like running around the world on like a little island. (laughs) It was. It was really interesting. All right. So conversely, what is your bucket list race or um, bucket list running route that you'd want to do that you haven't been able to do yet? Yeah, I really, the London Marathon is on my list. I would like to do that. And assuming I can keep getting this knee happy, I really, I want to try and do an ultra. Um, So I don't have a specific one picked out. One that won't kill me is at the top of the list. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So maybe uh, next year I'd I'd like to make that happen. Is there a certain genre of ultra, either either distance or like you think trail race? Or are you going to be one of those people who like run around a track 3000 times or? Yeah, I don't want to do a track. There's part of me that wants to do road simply because I've done road forever. But um, I love the trails out here in Colorado so much. Probably be a trail race if I can just, it doesn't need to be like a Leadville. Like I don't need the hardest race there is. That's not really of interest to me. I just want to know if I can run that far. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So last one. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Who is your dream running partner? Man, I've been lucky to run with quite a few people. Um, It doesn't have to be a new person. It can be a repeat. Yeah. It's a fun question, though. I don't know if Ellen DeGeneres ran, I think that would be great. I don't think she likes it, but (laughs) that That is 100% a first here on the rambling runner (laughs) podcast. I feel like 95% have been split between Des Linden and Shalene Flanagan. Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres is a new one. So you can stick with that one. You can can own that corner of the rambling runner podcast. I'll take it. That's great. Yeah. Cause that'd be like running with the radio. Like you wouldn't have to talk the whole time. It'd be hilarious. Oh man, that's good. So you know what? You're 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 expanding my mind here to all different <laughs> options. Where like I never thought like running with Chris Rock would be an option, but now right? I'm like, hey, that would now be I'm fun. like, hey, now and I'm like, man, Kevin Hart. Oh, he Kevin actually Hart. is a runner. Yeah. I gotta get him on here. That would I gotta be a run good with one. that guy. That would be a good one. All right, thank you so much, Amanda. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thanks so much. 
Thank you again, Amanda, for coming on the show. I had so much fun recording this episode, and I hope you, the listener, had just as much fun listening to it. You can check out Amanda, as she said, at runtothefinish.com. You can also find her at that same handle on all the social media outlets that are out there. Uh, She's really doing some interesting stuff on Instagram TV as well. I know that's a platform or a part of a platform that some people are experimenting with. And boy, does she take to that very quickly. Um, So I would definitely follow her on there if you don't already. And if you just haven't checked out Instagram TV in terms of what people are producing, check hers out because uh, she really is providing a lot of useful information for runners uh, on a variety of different topics. Lastly, check out the Patreon page. We'll be putting out a podcast in the next week or so with my coach, James McCurdy. I dove into that in the intro. I'm not going to do it again here, but I will say thank you so much for listening and happy running. <laughs>